Hello, I'm Pastor Paul, an associate pastor at Living Word, and this is our podcast. I want to say thank you for joining us today. I know this message will minister to your spirit and it will build your faith. I know God will move in your life because you are a doer of the Word. Enjoy today's message. I'm glad that you came out today. I I tend to not look at the weather and not look at circumstances much, but just listen. What is the heart of the Lord? And I believe that as we're teaching this series about the kingdom of God, understand it, it is the one thing Jesus talked about the most in the scripture. The second was our finances. The third was really the, the love of God through us for others, which is tied to kingdom and what we do with our, our life and our money and our resources. But today, as I, I look at uh, Matthew 13, Matthew 13 is all about the kingdom. Jesus taught seven parables in Matthew 13 that are called the kingdom parables. Most scholars uh, acknowledge that there he discloses the most in one passage or one teaching time, if you will, one, one segment of scripture that we can learn about the kingdom of God. Understand that there's the kingdom of heaven that we're going to go to someday. The kingdom of heaven where our heavenly father is and where Jesus now sits at the right hand of the heavenly father. The kingdom of God is God's way of doing heaven's business on earth through his people, through the person and by the leadership of the Holy Spirit who who operates as the head of the church. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when we think of Jesus as the head of the church, it's the Holy Spirit speaking to our hearts, representing the Lord Jesus on how to live and what to do and what's important. The kingdom of God has an agenda of the king. It's an agenda that he has authored from the foundations of the earth before ever we were created. Scripture says that we don't choose Jesus like we think we did when we got saved, but he chose us before we knew about him. That means he has a predetermined people to be in his kingdom. He knows everybody that's going to be saved before they are, and he put it in their heart to be saved. Then he put it in the hearts of the people who are living in every generation to reach out to their generation. That's the heart of kingdom business. We can't really say we're a part of the kingdom unless we are doing what kingdom people do. Now, Scripture teaches, Jesus himself told us in Matthew 13, we have to undergo a conversion or we'll not live that way. We live in one of the most challenging times to live in the kingdom, yet it is God's ticket for our success. It is God's way for us to see his blessing and anointing and prosperity in our lives because we're doing his will. We as his children have no question as to what the will of the Lord is. It's so easy. It's in the scripture everywhere. We're to finish Jesus' work in the earth. He came to seek and save that which was lost. He's still doing that. So today is about Jesus' heart and our heart coming together. We talk about anointing, it's something that rubs off on us from God so that we can be more like him. Today is about a heart-to-heart transfer 
from the Lord Jesus Christ into each of us to be alike unto him enough to be able to do that work, to be like him enough to care at a level that we will change our day to become more about his business. It is a conversion process. This message will not put you in the center of it. It will be the seed to put you there. Today's message will give you something to think about that I I prayed this way for you this morning. You will not escape this word no matter what happens. Why? Because it's a conversion that's precious to God. It's a conversion that gives us a confidence to know we're walking with him and no matter what comes our way in this generation, no matter what happens in our nation, no matter what happens on the world stage, no matter how many other people seem to have the ability to usurp authority over you, the kingdom of God is your place of dwelling and the king is your king. And if the king is your king, we prove that, we show our allegiance to him by doing kingdom business. That doesn't mean we are are ignorant to what we have to do to survive and thrive in this world, but we have an anointing that rubs off from our king into our heart. It's not first an external thing. It's not first that the blessing appears. It's first that our heart is changed. And if we'll focus on the heart change, God is faithful. And he says that that out of our heart will flow rivers of living water. So if we take care of our heart, if our heart is converted, there will be an inward work that creates outward blessing that marks us the rest of our days. That we don't have to get uptight and aggravated and upset at everybody else wanting everything else and everybody thinking they have to have their way because we recognize it's not about me having my way. This is about letting God have his way in me. And when I do that, I become secure in this life in a way that I'm not nearly so concerned about temporary things as I am eternal things. Now, that sounds like preacher talk, but it is not. It's what it is to live as a Christian. It's what it is to understand without anointing, we're in trouble. Without God rubbing something off on us, we're going to be just like everybody in the world, hopeless in this generation. Well, we're going to be hope-filled in this generation. We know that Matthew 6.33 was our jumping-off place for this this series that's really several series put together is what it is. Today, I'm kind of, uh, I'm going a direction of using what Jesus said to define what we can understand about the kingdom. Because we're not a part of the Heavenly Father's kingdom except by the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when I want to know how to live in the kingdom, I look carefully to what did Jesus say and what did Jesus do. Now he said in Matthew 6, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of the things that you need to live in this world abundantly will follow after you. They'll, they'll, they'll seem to come together for you. Well, I believe we're going to need all the coming together for us that we can and have everything working on our behalf that we can. So I've been talking a lot lately about putting him first and everything about putting him first. Today, I want to talk about seeking, understanding what it is to seek the kingdom. It's not to become so heavenly minded that we're absent minded in the earth. It's to understand that there's an agenda there that affects what we do here. 
His agenda has a say over our daily life. If we've had a heart conversion, we'll understand that and we'll begin to see it. We use a a phrase, revelation knowledge, in the New Testament church where God reveals something he knows to our heart. Today is about that because without revelation knowledge, we will live here and not be a part of the kingdom of God and we'll miss out on God's agenda, and the security that comes by being in God's agenda. Now, this is Matthew 13, 15. Jesus still speaking, but he's he's talking to people, a group of people, and he says, this people's heart is hardened. That's what happens in this, this world without Jesus rubbing off on our life, is we can live as a Christian with a hard heart or a closed heart, or think of it this way, a calloused heart just not tender to what God wants. Now, this people's heart is hardened, and here's the other things that that, that happen to them. Their ears are dull of hearing, and they have closed their eyes, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart, and then be converted, and I should heal them. When we have a hard heart, what happens is uh, we have to hear what Jesus says will change our heart. We have to be listening and looking for what he says will change that. As Jesus is ministering here, he's talking about the kingdom, and he's talking about why most people don't enter into the kingdom of God. They get to heaven, and they're a part of heaven, and they look forward to that like we should, but we're supposed to come under heaven's government while we're here. That means a a kind of self-discipline that is God-directed that we give him ourself, our heart, and we let him direct us to what matters to him. He says there will be a conversion and a healing that comes when we do this. A conversion that our heart becomes more tender and more reliable to God. A conversion that our eyes will see what matters to God. I believe scripture says our eyes will see by the Holy Spirit into the future things to come. Our ears will hear the word of God and revelation knowledge will come and and he will be speaking directly to us. When we're a part of the kingdom, when you hear God's word, something happens in the heart if our heart's tender enough. Many times we want to see with our eyes and hear with our ears what God's word is doing for us without having a heart change first. When the heart's converted, the eyes are sharper to see what God sees. When the heart is converted, our ears here are more ready to hear what it is God wants. Those of you that have gone on a missions trip, think of it this way. When we're gearing up for a trip, everybody's spiritual ability sharpens up. Why? We dedicate a focus unto that moment of time for a specific reason and outcome, and that investment pays off, and it first happens in our heart. When God's dealing with us to lay down our life to go do something significantly special for him and for the kingdom, there's an openness of thinking that comes. And on the missions field, when people go on a missions trip, they will do things and try things that they never would have done at home. And there's a reason. There's been a conversion of the heart, at least temporarily, for the temporary assignment. But God wants us to allow the change to be forever. 
The proof of forever is our eyes and ears are changed, our priorities change, we become more kingdom-minded, and we want to do more things under the master. And it changes the way we look at life, and we then start looking for opportunity to be more a part of what he's doing in the earth, and our other priorities seem to shrink back a little bit. That's heart change. Now, if I was going to prescribe anything to thrive in the years to come, it would be to undergo radical heart change like that. And instead of looking for the next trip, understand you are in it now. If anybody's going to be a missionary to any generation in any land, it would be us here right now. So understand kingdom thinking is critical. Kingdom placement is God's desire. Kingdom orientation will bring us a security. Now, Jesus talks about this conversion bringing a healing. In other words, he says a Christian or a church not thinking like this is sick. Well, the few times I've been sick, and there have been a few, I don't feel like doing much of anything. I'm not a good sick person. I'm a bad sick person. I don't like anything to do with it, anything about it. I don't like the feeling like I need to lay around. I don't like the eating my food and nothing tastes good. I don't like trying to, trying to sleep at night and I can't and then trying to be awake in the day and I want to sleep. Everything just seems upside down and backwards. Understand without a converted heart, we're living a sickly Christian life. And nothing's really right, yet we think it's right because we've been that way for so long. We think the blessed life is something we've experienced when God says there's a conversion necessary that we will recognize that will bring healing into our life. And it's a converted kind of thinking. And it makes us heart healthy. It makes us not shirk at problems, but rather look at them and say, no, 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 this is just a challenge because I'm a part of the kingdom of God and my king has the answer for my challenge. And I will make it through and I will make it through to a victory and not be defeated because the king is the king of all. So it's just a matter of time and the king will have his way so long as I am obedient to my king. Why? Jesus wins through his people. Jesus reaches people through his people. Now, we're going to get into one of the briefest of the seven parables. You say, brief is good. Why? Most everybody's got dinner plans, yeah? Or Valentine plans or secret plans. Or I'm looking over there, everybody kind of freezes up when I say that. You better have some kind of plan. The minimum is, is, is you, you give some coupons and you do some nice things for the one you love. Amen? amen? A few good, intelligent people said amen. <laughs> now, Jesus says that, but blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. Looking at some in the room that he was speaking to, there were some there that were seeing and hearing. I believe you're among them. But what I've learned is the more I see and the more I hear, the more my heart opens up to change. My heart change isn't a one-time thing. It's a lifestyle. 
to be open to what the master wants. Now, this is the parable in Matthew 13, 45 and 46. Jesus is presenting our kingdom assignment in the simplest terms here. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant man seeking godly pearls. He doesn't say the pearl is the kingdom. He says the merchant man is. See, the man with a changed heart does merchandising for the, the king. We literally represent buying and selling for the master. We represent what he sees as uh, the most precious thing that he's after in the earth. He works through agencies or people. So if the kingdom of God is going to do anything, he's going to work through goodly merchant men. Now, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and he bought it? That's the parable. That's pretty short. That's pretty sweet. But it describes a merchant man on a mission from the king, from the master doing business for the master, who finds a pearl, sells out and buys it. Now, there's a, a number of things I want to point out, and I'm going to use a, a real-life example without some names in a little bit because I want you to know how sometimes these things work. I'm going to use an example that Jesus used in his own ministry. When you see Jesus teach in a parable, he always did it. You just have to look for where did Jesus do this. So I'll give you one example of where he did it here in a minute. But our, our hearts have to be trained or healed to do God's will, to find his desires, to know what it is that he wants. Without a healed heart, we'll live numb to the Father's desire and just fulfill our own. I don't know if you've ever had a season in your life where you, you felt like you were just droning through things and life was so routine that you just were going round and around and around and around again. That's kingdom-less living. That's what this world is. They call it the rat race or any number of other things. The treadmill, a cycle. Our life will have some routine in it. We have some things we have to produce but if we only do that, we will have a sick heart that needs conversion. And I'm going to say again, it isn't a one-time thing. It's a willingness to be tender. Now, first thing we have to do is locate a pearl. Well, we have to have open eyes. We have to be willing to see what God sees that he calls a treasure and go find it. Go look for it. Understand the pearl is always going to be a person. It's always a person with capacity and ability, a, a person that God desires to, to bring into the family. Understand that there's an identifying a value when you find it. How do you identify a value? You listen to God's heart. And what should happen is when our heart is converted and our heart is healed, we just know. He wants me to win that person to him. Now, when we find the pearl and we identify the value or we recognize this is, this is a person Jesus loves, that's really all we have to know. We may not uh, be able to see into the entire value why there's a kingdom value God places on it that he sent Jesus for a person, any person, to die and give his life on the cross. That's the value of each person. Third, I see in this that we have to become sold out in our commitment. 
to win people. There's a selling out. There's a continuing. There's a following through, following up, doing that's important. I think of it this way. Jesus didn't command us only to get people saved. He commanded us to make disciples. That's a long-term commitment. So whenever we're going after someone for the master, understand without looking intentionally, we'll not see people that way. Without opening up our heart, we'll not see people as a pearl of great price. We'll see a pearl with blemishes or not a pearl at all or problems or challenges or things that we think they, they need to deal with or problems on their own. When we're looking for a pearl, there's a bit of a, a, a treasure hunt involved. Lord Jesus, where are you directing me today? Where do I look for the person that is ready for me to uncover them for you? We used to, when the children were little, we traveled a lot. One of the things that we would do driving, you know, countless hours a day, sometimes 12 or 14 or 16 hours in a row with little kids and in a, a company car. So we'd stop at antique malls and walk and we'd give the kids an assignment. See if you can find one of these. Not promising to always buy the one of these that they were finding, but uh, it was an educational tour and they would go and look and they would go and dig and they would dig around and uncover and they were so excited when they could find what we had assigned them to find and there were lessons in it. I look back at those days and I, I recognize that's much how we discover the kingdom of God. As we see some person, if, we, if we'll see people the way that Jesus does and get to know what makes someone stand out to him, we will train our eyes to see. For example, there's certain things if I go into that setting today, I can pick out in a moment, very quickly pick out certain things that I've trained my eyes to see in a room full of clutter where other people might walk into somebody's antique store, antique booth, or their, their junk shop and just see a pile of junk, I will pick out three treasures in three minutes every time. Why? Because I've trained my eyes to do that. I've also trained my ears to be listening to what other people are saying as they're digging through things. And if I hear somebody say, oh, isn't that, and they, they say something I'm interested in, I wait for them to sit it down and walk away, and I go check it out. Understand, most people have been handled a time or two by the grace of God and put back. And never anybody, uh, never has anyone committed to examining them and valuing what they might bring to the kingdom because they can't figure out what they might bring. Or they don't see the value or they don't have enough interaction or they, they don't pick up on what it is. If we're not seeing with God's heart on the inside, we'll not see with his eyes. We'll not hear with his ears and we'll walk right by what he's ready to reveal. God's greatest revelation to you will not be just the truth of his word. It will be the people that he desires to bring into the kingdom. Think about it. His word is forever settled in heaven. You're not going to take his word to heaven. His word lives in heaven. You're going to bring his people to heaven. That's what he gave us the right to change by the work in our heart. When we don't win anybody to Jesus, our heart is hard. If our heart is hard, we won't see and we won't hear when there's opportunity. Whenever you study the kingdom in reality, there will be a sting in it. 
But there will be a promise. Why? He, he doesn't want us to live with the sting. He wants to sting her out. He wants us to recognize what takes away from uh, God's will in our life and what, what causes us to promote God's will. Now, so we've got to see what God sees and hear. I say hear, hear this way, hear with the Father's love. Hear with a heart that's preconditioned. If I'm walking in, in any setting where I'm shopping and I'm listening, if there's something I'm going after and I hear somebody talk about what I'm looking for, my heart's been conditioned to find that and somehow my ears zero in on that conversation. When I'm around people needing God, I listen for who has an open ear and I hear it. Why? My heart will recognize that person's ready for me to get to them, reach them, talk to them. Now, Third, there's the commitment piece, following up. Some of those settings, you know, it would be vast, and I'd ask the kids, well, where did you find that show daddy? You know, they could, they could blaze a trail right back there. They were looking for a reward, or if it was something that interested them, they were expecting me to buy it regardless of the cost. <laughs> then they had to learn how to negotiate. Anyway, that's an aside. But there's a matter of following up with commitment and doing what we have to do with people. And I want to talk about this a little bit. It was less than two years ago. Through somebody at church, people were invited to church. And leave names out on purpose, and you don't need to try to figure it out. I want to respect privacy of people. Pastor avoids doing this, but I can't in this case. I can't. I can't avoid it. They came to church, and the wife had terminal cancer, and they came about three times and then were bold enough to introduce themselves. And I asked immediately, can I come calling? Can I come to visit? Yes, please do. Came to visit, and there was no saving knowledge of Jesus. Very successful life. They were younger than they ought to be to face the end of time, end of time in the earth. But I recognized right away a starting place to share the goodness of God. I recognized there was no faith present to heal. There had not been faith for salvation before. So I started sharing Jesus that saves us. Jesus that loves us unconditionally. And out of these two people who had had some church experience, I'll say it this way. They had been dusted off two or three times, but kind of chunked in the trash bin by people people who were impatient, people who didn't have a heart change themselves, in my opinion, to do whatever it takes to talk to somebody. I knew I wasn't going to go in in any one-time conversation and get everybody saved. This was a foreign language. But I looked and I listened and loved the people. We carried in a little bit of food. And One day in May, I remember sitting in the driveway at the house with the wife. The husband was in another. He was out in the shop working. And I started to share with her, I, I believe today is your day. She said, I do too. Pastor, I've been waiting for you, sitting out in the sun by the garage door. Is this as easy as you say? I said, this is a free gift. This is what God wants everybody to have. And you can't earn it. You won't earn it. You can't be good enough or bad enough. You just have to choose to believe. Within moments, we prayed the prayer of salvation. She repeated it. I said, let's talk about what you just did. 
I said, you just made heaven your eternal home. She said, go get her husband. I went and got him, brought him up there, told, told him what she did. He wasn't ready. I knew he wasn't ready. I didn't have the same talk with him yet. She went through hospice and died about six weeks later. Over the course of those six weeks, I visited again and again, several different settings and situations, and friends were coming from far and wide to send her off. She was going to die. So the friends were coming, and the more feeble she became, the more bold I became, because all the friends were interested in this new friend they called their pastor that they barely knew, that they invited into their life, that they didn't invite people into their life very much. All this started by church folks taking a dinner to their house after church, one of the outreach meals. That's how it started. But they were already friends. In about five weeks, there were bedside visits where she couldn't speak, but she recognized me and would squeeze my hand. I'd say, can I pray? And yes, pray. I'd invite everybody in the house, and there were always extra people in the house because she was getting ready to go. They didn't have any children of their own, but they had many people that they had helped and taken care of and done things for and been good to. Always that crowd would gather around the bed, and I would recount her salvation experience, how she prayed and accepted Jesus as Savior, how she was going to heaven. She'd squeeze my hand all until that last visit. And that last visit, she had the biggest crowd in the house. They knew it was a matter of hours. I got the phone call to come out for what was likely going to be a last visit. And the husband, in a tender, broken voice, said, Pastor, can we go in the bedroom? And pray with her again and pray with me. He said, I don't know if she can hear you. I said, she can hear us. I said, more importantly, that those who remain here are going to hear it. So he went out to the shop and invited all of his friends in. There was a pretty good crowd out there. Everybody stood around the bed. She didn't have any strength to squeeze my hand. There was not any indication other than some squeaks came out when I told her who it was, and we were there to pray. She started making these squeaking sounds, and he said, she's trying to tell you, go ahead. I said, I know it. We prayed the prayer of salvation for 14 people, with 14 people, who had heard me say several times how we are saved and it's not deserved, and they all looked on this woman as a mother figure in their life. But they all prayed to accept Jesus. Now, this started with two other people. There had been others sharing tidbits with them. I was the fourth person in, to my knowledge, in their coming to Jesus. When we prayed as a group, everybody in the room prayed, and the husband said, everybody be quiet and do what this man says so you'll not go to hell. You have to believe what he's saying, and you will go to heaven. There's the evangelist. He started preaching. Everybody got tearful. Everybody prayed and everybody got saved. And everybody wanted to talk about it. She died the next day. Summarily after that, I revisited her husband and talked about this again. I said, do you understand exactly what you did? And he, with some expletive, said, no. But pastor, I did what you said because I believe it's true. And you said, because I believe on Christ Jesus, I'll go to heaven. And that's good enough for me. So well, let's talk about that some more. And we did. It hasn't been but a few weeks ago. He had a sudden heart attack and he's in heaven too. 
But I tell you, you never know. If you're not ready to recognize a pearl, if you're not willing to follow the guidance of someone who's gone before and they didn't quite know what to do with the pearl, if you don't become God's instrument in a setting where you don't know people, in fact, this person said to me when I first came out, you don't understand who we are. We have hated preachers. I said, well, you won't hate me. You'll love me. How do you know that? I said, everybody loves me. You'll love me. I said, well, why are you doing this? Is because it's your job? I said, it isn't my job to go around seeing people that aren't in my church. Are you kidding? Well, we've been there three times, so that doesn't make you part of the church. I said, I'm here because I care about you. Oh. In a few weeks, everything can change. I wish I could tell you more, but some things are really private. Some things are really significant. But every time I come to church, I drive by where they used to live. And I look over there and think, Lord Jesus, thank you for so-and-so that started the process and so-and-so and so-and-so that were in the middle. And thank you for making me one of four. As I thought of that, I, I thought of the story that I want to use that Jesus did this in. That he actually, he was a, people brought somebody to Jesus and it took four to get him there. But he left changed and so did all of them. And it's a perfect example of what kind of thing we think we need to experience to change our heart. But if we don't have a changed heart, we never experience it. I remember getting ready to go to see these people. How I was advised by someone that I called that knew them. Pastor, they're some of the fiercest people in our region. Are you sure? I said, I'm positive. I'm supposed to go. When you go bearing the good news, fierce becomes tender. Whatever heart change you've experienced from Jesus will be experienced by the person you touch. Now, this is Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse, just in verse 1, we... We look for the pearl that's waiting to be found. We look for the person. And I'll tell you, there's always somebody in your path. There's always somebody God's given you. I've learned that. It's a matter of recognizing uh, what can I dig into and find right now? What, who can I, who's ready for me? Or who am I ready for sometimes is it. And again, he entered into Capernaum talking about Jesus here. After some days... And it was noise that Jesus was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together insomuch that there was no room to receive them, no, not even around the door. And Jesus preached the word unto them. And they came unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. I, I've highlighted in my notes, born of four, for a reason. Now, and when they could not get in the house, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken up the roof, they let down the man in his bed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Arise and take up your bed and go to your house. And immediately he arose and took up the bed and went 
insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we've never seen anything like this before. Amazing. What's Jesus doing? He's experiencing four people finding their place in the kingdom of God to interact with the king. I'm sure at first, there was one person that knew this guy will have a chance with Jesus. This guy has value. This guy that, that, that I love and care about can be brought to the master. And it's a clear picture of, of somebody recognizing another person in the moment, a person in time. I mean, I'm going to tell you about a, a pearl. It's somebody just waiting. It's somebody that has to have a, another person thinking about and caring for them. The, the couple I'm talking about started by a couple in church recognizing there's a point of need and there's a point of no return in their life. That's an easy place. That's an easy, easy find, a point of need. But we look and listen. There, there had to be a person, one person, one man to begin with that was aware of this guy's need. And he was one of four. I want to have you consider something. Becoming one of four in a situation, or one of three, or one of two. We always think when it comes to witnessing or winning somebody, it's a one-on-one -on -one thing. Not so. My experience more often is there's, there's a group of people that have touched somebody's life. And every person that really has the impact to touch has undergone a heart change. Without a heart change, we see and we walk on. With a heart change, if we see and walk on, we turn back again. So I can't get away from this. I've got to do something about this. How many times have I had people in our own congregation say, Pastor, I had this situation recently, someone in our congregation and I feel like I should have done this, and I didn't do this in a timely way. Pray, God, forgive me. I said, I will. And then they said, what do you think about this? I said, that's a healthy heart. When we recognize we missed it somewhere with a person, and we want to make it right. But uh, they're already gone. They already died, Pastor. So I shared when it works out right how it works. And I said, never again will you approach it the same way. And they said, you're right about that. Now, Becoming one of any number to be a part. What's today? Be, be in the equation somewhere. That's what I'm trying to say. I, I marvel at how we live in a generation where the world's never been more crazy and people are being driven apart instead of coming together. I know that's the enemy. So what do we do? We look for a point of contact or a point of need to make a difference. If we can't express the love of God, it'll never be real to the people we're trying to win. And the love of God it has, has a reach to it and a touch to it. Now, somebody in this picture had to be the first to take action. He brought the others together. Sometimes your role is to be part of a team, part of a group. I think of what it was to, to get that meal out the door, and I'm trying to convey the value in a piece of ministry that we're doing. 
when somebody just said, we're going to do that. The, the people they carried the meal to didn't need a meal. They, they, they were well off. They had plenty of food in the house. It wasn't the meal that was going. It was a heart touch that was going. It was a connection that was being made because it was an easy and obvious and strategic moment, but easy and obvious way to do it. And we live in the Midwest. You, 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 you can carry food to anybody. It's universally accepted as a kindness or even a, a loving gesture. And if you stay and partake with them, then there's a conversation. And the conversation is always the recipient wondering, why are they being good to me? It's so obvious and so easy. But there was one person at the heart of this that I would say was the, the most committed I believe within our congregation, there's the ability to be evangelistic. I believe that at minimum, one out of four will be outgoing enough to go after a person. And when you go after a person, you start thinking, how am I going to get this person to Jesus? This was a man who needed to be in bed. It became pretty apparent pretty quickly. It wasn't going to be just one person involved. I think of hospital ministry this way. I think of much of what we do outside the church this way. There's more than one person to be involved. Why? God wants to give blessing to everybody involved in the harvest, and you don't have to be intimidated by thinking you're the only one. You are never the only one. God has many, and, and within this body, we ought to be able to come together and make a difference in any situation. Now. So there was one that was the first to take action. His first action, I'm sure, was to lay in his own bed at night thinking, how are we going to get this friend to Jesus? His next action was to see who could he get to be involved. The third was a commitment to carry a bed, who knows how far, with the man in it, and get there to encounter resistance and difficulty. Anybody there hearing wanted to hear and be healed. So much so that they couldn't get the bed to the door and say, Jesus, come out here. We got a man in a bed. So they decided we're going to bypass the problems we're encountering. And the only way they could find to get in was to make a new door. And to go where nobody else was pressuring to get to Jesus, where they could break up the roof and put him down. What an effort for one man by four others. That's love. That's obvious. I believe as the man in the bed was experiencing this, he was thinking, they really believe I'm going to be healed. They really believe I'm going to experience a radical life change because they are dismantling this other person's house who's not given permission, knowing they're probably going to have to build it back again or go to jail over it. But they are opening up the rooftop of this house to put me down in front of the master. Surely they must know something that I don't know. When you are insistent and you are a part of a group and you are winning somebody, you will win them over because you do know someone they don't know. And you know some things about the someone anyway. They were bringing hope. They were stirring faith. And they were doing what took a commitment to do, putting themselves at risk. Well, what if he hadn't been healed? What if they hadn't tried?
doing whatever it takes. I think of how many times we could have won somebody if we just didn't back down at the first altercation. I, 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 I will talk of these couple, this couple a little bit more. She said right away, there's no hope for us. You don't know all the things we've done. I said, I don't need to know. And I looked at him. I said, looking at him, I can imagine. He started laughing. Well, he had a reputation. I knew his reputation. He said, well, you got me pegged about right. I said, but there's, there's nobody good enough in God's eye. We none of us deserve him, yet he loved us. I said, and looking at you and looking at her, she fell in love with you. That's harder to believe than Jesus loving you. And he laughed and she laughed and said, that was right. Why? Reaching them in their own place where they were. Why? They had a great marriage for a long, long time and it was meaningful to them. It's one of the things they celebrated. So I was pointing out how, how funny and unusual that was, but how great it was. Anyway, doing whatever it takes. Then we witness the lasting change that Jesus makes. I remember driving by a number of times saying, I wish there was somebody to disciple him. She had already passed. I wish there was somebody to disciple him and grow him up in things. He didn't know a lot of word. Had a generous heart. Cared for people. Things that he didn't, he didn't like injustice. And it was no time at all. And he had passed. And I drove by that next day. Drove right by. And said, Lord Jesus, thank you for causing somebody else to see the pearls and letting me be one of the four. Let me be in that. Recognizing now, I remember talking to her at length about heaven. When people are dying, they want to know about that. They first want to know, how do I get there? Is it possible? Then they want to know, what are they walking into? Because most people think they're walking into a great judgment. And this woman had been told before by, by someone, your whole life will be before all of heaven to see, and you'll go, go through great shame and condemnation. Then you'll fall at the king's feet, and he'll either let you in or not. And she said, dear God, I'll never get in, and I don't even want to be there where everybody sees my life. So they're going to see your life. That's none of their business. If you accept Jesus as Savior, your sin, your, your indiscretions are under the blood forever forgotten for no one to see. Not even God remembers them. She said, where's that in your Bible? I said, oh, thank you for asking. And we went right there. She told him, and before I could leave, he was coming in from his work. You got to hear what the preacher said to me today. I still don't quite believe it, but it's in the Bible. And he said one key thing, if it's in the Bible, it's got to be right. Adam, why am I sharing this? Because it's so real, so tender, and I, I can't drive by there without being emotional. Because what if I'd have said, I'm not the one. We don't have a lot in common. I found out we did when I got to know him a little bit, had some things in common. I'm glad I didn't pray the, the escape prayer, God send laborers across her path. I mean, what, what, what is that? That's like the escape route when God said, okay, I'll send somebody else. And here's, here's what he says of, of those moments. It's treasure gathering 
for the king. Understand how Jesus sees it. We are his treasures that have been scattered out in a lost world. Covered up, messed up, messed with. Dusted off a few times and chunked back, thrown in the trash bin. People come in every kind of bad condition, bad situation. But Jesus said he has come to seek and save that which was lost. He does that through us. What I want you to do today is get an understanding of what it is to be a part of the kingdom of God. It's engaging in what matters to the master. And I believe he made this short and sweet parable so it was easy to preach. Why? I'll finish on time. You think that's, that's funny? I, I think it's God's plan for things like that. Why? He wants us to experience a conversion. And what I mean by that is there are people praying for God's will for the future. Lord, let me know what to do. Let my family know what to do. Help us make wise decisions and work the right job and have the right property and have the right investment. And he wants to do all that. I'm going to tell you how he chooses to do it. We have a heart change to first do the seeking that he says we should do. Look for the people, look for the pearl, look for the person. He has given you somebody. There's no exception. He gives us somebody. When we start seeking them and we make that a life priority, all of those other things begin to, to, to work and to change. What happens is our eyes are opened to see our life God's way. And if we need a job change, our eyes will, will perceive it and go, why did I not see this before? You ever had a moment like that where you go, oh, I know God's showing me something. Or you hear something, you think, I've heard this a hundred times, but I've never heard it like this. Why? It's in the moment there's an intersection that happens because our heart has been changed somehow. There's, there's been a capacity given to God that he can work with. He says, if we give him our heart, we will undergo a transformation and a conversion that helps us see and hear, spiritually speaking, see and hear naturally in this natural world, and we'll know what to do. Scripture calls it an unction from the Holy Spirit. Did you ever wonder why some people are so easily led by the Holy Spirit? It's because their heart has become tender enough to be led by the Holy Spirit. Why will he, he will lead us first to do what Jesus said to do first, seek Seek, seek first the kingdom. Understand it will always involve people. It will involve people who are lost. I'll say another couple things. These folks have been in church a few places and always left hurt and upset because somebody did, didn't do them right. Somebody jumped to conclusions. And they, they left with, Mixed messages from God. They didn't understand the difference between an old covenant and a new covenant. They thought if they sinned, God was going to strike them down dead or something terrible would happen or they were sick with cancer because they had, had lived a rough life. People have all kinds of mixed up messages from people who didn't know enough truth to help another person. Understand something. You have enough truth that Jesus in you can set anybody free.
you have enough truth. The fact that your heart is tender enough to, to come through below zero temperatures today on a Sunday to hear pastor fuss about the kingdom of God again is proof enough there's a conversion happening in your heart or you could have done any number of other things and would have. So what are you? You're the chosen and the elect of God to see and hear all about the future. I want you, I want your family, I want your household, I want your town to have the best advantage in the days ahead. I'm telling you, our individual heart conversion will change the future of everybody around us because we will see and we will hear what the Holy Spirit is revealing and what he is saying, and we will know to do the right thing and have confidence in the days to come. Heavenly Father, I ask upon your church... And within every person today that you work with this tenderness that you have revealed that I know is inside of every one of us. Father, to make a, a conversion in our heart to have capacity to do your will to not shirk back, to not be talked out of it, regardless of what comes, Father, that we will, we will be uh, listening for what it is you would say. Our ears are going to hear it. Our eyes are going to see your will. Our heart is being converted now, Father, to focus on what is most meaningful to you, and you will bring healing into our lives in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you for your healing power working in every person right now. Father, to strengthen us physically. Father, to stir our minds toward you and have right thinking, intelligent thinking, that our minds work wonderfully, that we're, we're not bound by fear, we're not bound by past defeat, but rather, Father, we look forward with anticipation of your power and your anointing in our lives for the good. Father, thank you that spiritually we're alive and we're alert and we're part of your kingdom. Father, I thank you we're an anointed church. That means if you've got it, it's rubbing off on us. Father, we want everything that you have for this season, for our life, for this generation to be successful. Father, I thank you that that anointing comes with no condemnation in it. Father, regardless of yesterday, our today and our tomorrow are sanctified by your word and your anointing and our prayer in this moment. Father, I thank you for our hearts being surrendered to you more fully. Father, within this place, we will be at least one of four. Father, we'll never be out of the equation again. We will always be pursuing your treasure for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, we thank you. Amen. Thank you for joining us. A special thanks to those who give generously to this ministry. It's because of you that Ministry at Living Word Church is possible. You can get more information on our website at go2lwc.org. You can also give online as well. If you enjoyed today's podcast, you can subscribe, you can share it with your friends. You can take a screenshot and post it to your social stories. You know what? You can even share it in person with someone who needs encouragement from God's word today. Thanks again for listening. And as always, you're welcome to join us in person where we will worship together and God will minister directly to you. Be blessed this week and be a doer of his word.